0: You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Koop. Now here's the interesting thing. They found that the length of time that Canadians keep New Year's resolutions, 19% of Canadians keep their New Year's resolutions for less than 24 hours, okay? So uh, you may have already finished your New Year's resolution say, yep, I've done that. My New Year's resolution was to change my diet. And after one day, I said, yep, that's over. We're going back to what it was. Uh, 15% do it for one week, 52% for one month, and only 19% do it for the whole year. So that's just trivia. But I guess we, uh, that's where we are with New Year's resolutions. The list of the top 10, probably not a surprise to you. Number one was lose weight. Two is stop smoking. That would actually surprise me. Three for Canadians to stick to a budget. Four was save more money. Five was find a better job. Six was become more organized. Seven, exercise more. Eight, be more patient at work or with others. Nine was eat better. And 10 was become a better person. And uh, so those are the New Year's resolutions that they had. It was 2011, those stats. I'm not sure what it would be this year. It might not be a lot different. But in order for a resolution to work, you've got to be devoted to it. You have to stick with it in order for it to work. We'll talk this year about Devoted. We'll learn more about it. Next Sunday, we have a review of 2012. We'll review all that God did. ...through video and pictures to give you a snapshot of last year. And God did so very, very much. We're grateful for it. We'll give you an update of all that happened or some of the highlights from the grand service. And we wanted to wait to include that as well. And uh, God did some amazing things. And as we did a lot of work and a big push for those two services, we'll give you an update on that. And then we'll also talk more about what's to come in 2013. But this will be part of it, about being devoted. Fully devoted what's the definition of being devoted? I put one in your notes there. Being devoted is very loving or loyal, enthusiastic, or enthusiasm for a person, for an activity, or for a cause. If you're devoted to your wife, or you're devoted to your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, or your children, then there's this enthusiasm. You're, you're, you want to be. There's, it's loving. It's loyal. Devoted is a very warm, rich word. If I said she is devoted to her children, we could put other words in there it would mean she's loyal to her children she's faithful to her children she's true or she's consecrated or she's committed she's dedicated she's devout to her children she's affectionate to her children she's caring she's admiring of her children those would all be synonyms of the word devoted devoted to her children they, I don't know who came up with this, but apparently the most devoted parents in the animal kingdom are the penguins, the emperor penguins. Did anybody see the movie, The March of the Penguins? Anybody see that movie? good number of you have. If you haven't seen that, it's a good movie to watch. It's really entertaining, but it's also very inspiring and informational. These penguins uh, are, you talk about devoted, they are devoted parents. The mother, of course, gives birth to this egg, and... The egg is hatched during the wintertime. Now, oh, they've got the picture up there. There you go. You see there? that there? This is the penguins. Perfect. Now, the dad is on your left there, and you can see he, he's got this egg here that he's holding up on his feet. And she gives birth, of course, to the egg, and then she shuffles it over to him. And he holds it on his feet there. They have to do that in a minute. If they take more than a minute or so, the egg is going to freeze on the ground and the life is lost. So they, they have to be pretty quick at moving it over there. And they, it's really cute to watch. Them. And, he, and he puts it up there on his feet and he's holding this egg. And... Uh, and he keeps it warm, wraps his feathers around it, and he has to kind of sit on this egg, so to speak. Or he's actually standing, but that's where he holds the egg. Now, he, he doesn't hold it for a couple hours. He doesn't hold it for a couple days. He doesn't hold it for a couple weeks. By the way, just so you know, it's 60 below zero. It's in Antarctica. It's in the winter, and it's freezing cold. I mean, it's colder than Regina. It's that cold, okay? So it's, it's cold. He has to do this for two months now that's what I call devoted. For two months, well, where's the where's she go? She goes back to the sea and she goes fishing. He has to be pretty. Uh, well, he, he, he's on a fast. He basically fasts for two months, and he's got this ache on his feet the entire time. That is dedication. Guys, if you've ever had to get up and, you know, rock a baby to sleep at night, and you thought, oh, you know, maybe your wife poked you. Sometimes my wife would do this. She'll say, Dave, it's your turn. Get up and feed. Well, I couldn't feed the baby. I could get up and change the baby, rock the baby. But, uh, and I, oh, I thought, oh, I such a sacrifice. It's compared to this now, this guy for two months, he's holding that egg there. And they, they get in the huddle, all the men, and they kind of take turns going in and out of the middle of this huddle. and And, they, and they're for two months holding it. Interesting side note, you know that the the way the, the female penguin chooses a male penguin, they have to be faithful, but she also wants a fat one. She wants a fat husband. So there you go, guys. Faithful and fat, devoted and fat. So he's because she figures the fatter he is, the more the better chance he has of going on a two-month fast to watch over the egg so he watches over this egg and then after two months she went out fishing she got super fat she comes back and then she takes over and she begins to feed the fish and, and, uh, and so forth to the little penguin now he's born and so there's, there's just this picture of incredible devotion loyal, loving, faithful, committed, devoted if you live a devoted life there's much more life produced through your life. Jesus said in the parable of the sower that if we would be devoted, I'm paraphrasing here, but devoted, if that, if that seed and that's, the soil was devoted to that seed, there'd be 30, 60, or 100 fold. And God really wants our lives to have that kind of replication, it's exponential. A devoted life yields a multiplication of life. But if we are not following his principles, not following his ways, we can actually have a wasted life. But a fully devoted life produces so much more life. And that's what God has in store for us as we follow him. And that's his word for us, really, in 2013, that we'll be fully devoted followers of the Lord. A fully devoted life produces much, much more life. There's a number of examples of people in the Bible that Jesus challenged to live fully devoted lives. One he challenged in Luke chapter 10. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you can go to Luke chapter 10 this afternoon. Would you say with me, thank you, Lord, for the book of Luke. We love God's Word here. We honor God's Word and we treat it with high esteem. Luke chapter 10 and... uh, In this story here that I'm going to mention, it's a parable of the Good Samaritan. And you know the story. A lawyer stood up and asked him in verse 25, Teacher, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, Well, what's written in the law? What is your reading of it? And so he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. That sounds pretty devoted to me. All your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. Love God with all you've got. That sounds pretty devoted to me. And your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Do this and there will be, if I can use this, a multiplication of life if you do this. Live that fully devoted life and watch what will happen. From there, he gives them the example of the good Samaritan. And he challenges the lawyer on that. In Luke chapter 18, we have another story. Jesus challenged somebody to live a fully devoted life. And it's a rich young ruler and he comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And, uh, and he tells him, you know, he asks him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And the rich young ruler says, uh, all these things I've done from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, You uh, lack one thing, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Sounds like one thing you lack, you're still not fully devoted. You're still hanging on to things, sell it all, distribute to the poor and come follow me. Now, this would not have made him broke. He would, have not, he would not have ended up in poverty row. Whatever giftings and callings he had that made that wealth in the first place, God would have just multiplied it more. More would have flowed through him to the hurting. But the sad thing is this guy walked away. He was the rich young ruler but decided not to live fully devoted. And as a result, the life that could have flowed through him to the hurting, to the poor, and who knows where else, got stifled. The most rewarding life, folks, is to live fully devoted to him. And your one life can have a multiplication of effect on many other lives as we live sold out for him. Here's a good example of somebody who does live a fully devoted life in the word. And that is a guy by the name of Stephen. So if you have your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 6. Now, he's an interesting guy. I, I like Stephen. He's, he's amazing. When I get to heaven, I want to talk to him. He is the first martyr in the Bible, in the New Testament. And he lays down his life. You talk about being fully devoted. Stephen is fully devoted. It says here, uh, Acts chapter 6. Stay with me this afternoon. Thank you, Lord, for the book of Acts. We're glad for this book. All right. Written by Luke the doctor. Dr. Luke wrote this for us. Now in those days, verse 1, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there rose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Don't have time to unpack all of this, but basically they had two groups of people in their church. They had those that were... Palestinian Jews had been there all the time. They spoke Aramaic, and there was another group, more educated. They were Greek-speaking. they traveled to different parts of the world, come back. They ended up all in the church together. And they were, it seems like one group, some of their widows weren't getting the regular uh, support that was needed, and so there was a dispute over it. And the 12... Got together and they summoned the multitude of the disciples. Got the church together. And they said, "It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables." The disciples were saying, "We could solve this and we could actually go and serve the tables, but then we wouldn't be praying, we wouldn't be studying the word, and we couldn't actually be doing what we're called to do." Therefore, brethren, seek out men from among you, seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith. We won't read all the other names because we're focusing on Stephen today. A man full of faith. He was full of faith. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of faith. He was full of power. He was full of wisdom. Good guy to have on your team. Full of faith. You know how how you get faith? Faith comes by hearing God's word. You read God's word, you hear God's word. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So he must have been reading the word quite a bit. Then it says in verse 7 then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Something happens when lay people get released and get involved. These people got involved. They said, hey, we'll help serve. You don't have to do it all, disciples. We'll help do this. And they jumped in and they helped. Then in verse 8, it says, Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. So not only was this guy serving and helping, he was praying for people. You know, you don't have to be a pastor to pray for somebody. You don't have to be, you know, an elder or have a position in a church to pray for somebody. The Bible just says, lay hands on the sick. Those who believe, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. This, you have the same Holy Spirit living in you as the next person does. It's the Holy Spirit that flows through us. And we're released. We're commissioned to pray and help other people. And this is what Stephen was doing. He was praying and the power of God was flowing through him. And it got the attention of some of the leaders, and they got nervous about it. And so they set him up, and they spread false lies about him. They said that he had been telling others that the temple was going to be torn down, and they they gave him all these accusations. And we read that as we go along in this story. Verse 13, they also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and the law, we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council looking steadfast at him saw his face as a face of an angel. There was something that was reflected out of Stephen. They just saw, ah, there's something about this guy. He was full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. He was a fully devoted follower. You know, when you're fully devoted and you just are passionate about something, God seems to find you. He found Elisha when he was plowing the field. He found Peter when he was fishing. He found uh, Matthew when he was tax collecting. He he finds people that are busy and passionate. And and Stephen was, he was committed. He was devoted in many ways. Devoted to his community because he had a good reputation. Uh, You know, it's good to have a good reputation in the community. It's good to have a good name. He said, how do I get a good name? You pay your bills on time. You show up to work on time. You're nice to your neighbors, and you, you just live right. And, and uh, this is Stephen. He, he's devoted to that. He's devoted to his church. He serves in his church. He's devoted to God. He's devoted to Christ. When he's stoned later on and he's dying, he looks up and he sees the Lord uh, standing there beside the Father. And he, he's, he has such a desire to follow Jesus. He, he preaches about him. He's devoted to God's word. In chapter 7, the whole chapter is his message. And it's captured there. It's the longest message we have in the book of Acts. And he just goes from Abraham all the way up to Christ. And he explains to them that, the, you know, you, you guys are talking about the temple. But remember that God spoke to Abraham. And he was in the temple. He was in the Ur of Chaldees. And remember God spoke to Moses. And Moses was in the temple. He does a great job of just showing again and bring them into really that we are the temple of the holy spirit so that's his message and at the end of the message they they're really upset with him and they don't have a cause but he's executed he dies for his faith and he's the first martyr that we have in the new testament and when he's there and he's executed there's somebody standing there who's watching it who's encouraging this execution He's not throwing any stones, but he has all the people leave their valuables, their coats and stuff at his feet. He's watching over them, and his name is Saul. Saul would change his name to Paul, and Paul, as you know, would become the greatest advocate or the greatest preacher, and he would take this gospel to the then known world. Stephen was an example of somebody who was very devoted. I like the fact that he was devoted to God's word. And we want to be more devoted to God's word this year. So we're going to do something a little bit different at Coastal this year. And uh, one of the things, if you have your bulletin, uh, maybe just pull that out. And uh, you'll see in the bulletin on the, on the little flip piece here, there's a piece, that, a flap on the bulletin. And there's a verse that says, January memory verse. This is Psalm 119, verse 45, where it says, I will walk in freedom, for I have devoted myself to your commandments. Another translation says, to your precepts. And when we walk in God's ways, when we walk in his precepts, when we walk on the trail that he has for us, we can walk in freedom. You, you follow the news that all these guys that ski out of bounds and they have to go find them? You know, they, they say, no, no, I don't want to ski inbounds. I want to ski out of bounds I'll be free and you know, I'll get some fresh powder and then you find out, no, I'm trapped down in a gully and now we have to send the North Shore Rescue Team to find me. And uh, that's, you know, kind of like that way in life. If you ski inbounds, if you stay on the trail, you have freedom. And sometimes they say, oh, the freedom's on the other side. No, God says, I'm not doing this to be mean. I'm not doing this to be controlling. I'm doing it so you have life and you can enjoy freedom. And here's how it works. Stay within these these, uh, uh, boundaries that I have for you so you can enjoy life. So this is a great verse. I will walk in freedom, for I have devoted myself to your commandments. So this is the January memory verse. It's also on your handout today. Now, here's the deal. This is the gold level. One verse a month. That's the gold level, okay? Now, if you want to be the platinum level, we'll give you a verse a week. So the gold level, you'll memorize 12 verses by the end of the year. That'd be pretty good. And I gave you a nice easy one for January. I mean, that's not that long. We can do that for next week or at least for the month. Now, if you want to be the platinum level, we'll give you one every week. That way, you'd have 52 verses in one year. I don't know about you, but I did not memorize 52 verses last year. I like to memorize 52 verses this year. Our interns have to memorize about 100 verses in their internship. In children's church, they memorize verses. So I just thought it'd be a novel idea that we'd memorize verses and be fully devoted. And so you, you can have the gold level, one verse a month, or you can have... The platinum level, one verse a week. And so you get to make that choice. Whatever works for you. Uh, but we'll give you the verse of the month will be there. You can tear it off and you'll find the others on your notes. And every week we'll get a fresh verse. And nobody's going to check up on you. There's no report card. You don't have to write them all out at the end of the year. Oh, well, that would be an idea. Last Sunday of the year, you have a test. Attendance was low this week for some reason. <laughs> no, you guys would be there. You'd know. Yeah. Anyhow. Another thing we want to do is memorize the books of the Bible. I just thought it would be a good idea that we knew all the books of the Bible. Uh, maybe we do. Maybe we don't. Uh, and then, you know, the kids have these little songs that they sing to memorize the books of the Bible. And Pastor James was telling me that his daughters, they've learned all the Old Testament prophets, the major prophets and the minor prophets, and they sing songs to them. I thought, we could do that. I thought, man, can I list all the major prophets of wrong? I need the song. So we'll we'll, we'll learn more this year. We'll be more devoted to God's word. We'll go deeper and, and we'll just purpose to love God's word. The psalmist said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's something about just being in love with his word. His word brings life to those who find it. Health to all their whole flesh. We need a good dose of God's living word. It's the living bread. And so we're just going to be more in love with it this year, more devoted to it, more enthusiastic about it than we ever have been before. In order to do that, we have to put aside some selfish desires because be devoted means dying to selfish desires. Any athletes who's devoted to their sports, don't they usually have to say no to some things? If you're an Olympic athlete, you'll say, you know what, I want to get to the Olympics and I want to be an Olympic rower. Well, you probably have to say no to some events. You have to say no to some diet things. And you you have to, make some, you have to say no to some things because you're, you're devoted to something else. And the same in following Christ. There's some things we have to say no to. They might not even be necessarily morally wrong. We just say, no, I, I can't have that in my life right now. And we're, we're, we say no to especially selfish desires and pleasures that we think we have to have. John Rockefeller said this, and he knew a lot about having things. He said, I cannot... I can think of nothing less pleasurable than a life devoted to pleasure. Let me say that again. I can think of nothing less pleasurable than a life devoted to pleasure. I'll put up a picture of a fellow who, was, who devoted his life to pleasure. All he really wanted in life was more, he wanted more money, so he parlayed inherited wealth into a billion dollar pile of assets. He wanted more fame, so he broke into the Hollywood scene and soon became a filmmaker and star. He wanted more sensual pleasure, so he paid handsome sums to indulge his every sexual urge. He wanted more thrills, so he designed, built, and piloted the fastest aircraft in the world. He wanted more power, so he secretly dealt political favors so skillfully so skillful that two U.S. presidents became his pawns. All he ever wanted was more. He was absolutely convinced that more would bring him true satisfaction. Unfortunately, history shows otherwise. His life ended up emaciated, colorless, sunken chest, grotesque fingernails, rotting black teeth, tumors, innumerable needle marks from his drug addiction. Howard Hughes died believing the myth of more. He died a billionaire junkie, insane by all reasonable standards. He lived for more. And he wasn't living a life to lay down his life. It was a life of get all I can. I want to experience it all. I want to consume it all. And we live in a world and a culture that sends that message. If you have more, you will have better life. Jesus said, no, no, it's the upside down kingdom. It's a different way. If you lay down your life, lose your life, then you'll find life. Living a fully devoted life to Christ produces 30, 60 or a hundredfold of life for you. Second Corinthians 4.11 says, for we are We who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. If you want more of the life of Jesus to radiate through you, then we lay down our life. And Paul said, I'm always dying to what my flesh would like. Have you found that to be true? You find like sometimes you just have to say no, no, no. Your flesh, it's kind of like a car with a bad wheel alignment ever been in a car with a bad wheel alignment and you, you go down the road? If you take your hands off the steering wheel, like for five minutes, you're in the ditch. You have to keep your hands on the steering wheel. That's your flesh. All the time, you've got to keep your hands on the steering wheel and say, no, you don't get to have your way. I will lay down my life. I want to be fully devoted to Christ. Bill Hybels writes about this subject. He said, recently a man commented on the tough topics I've taught over the years. Hell, money, sex, relational confrontation, self-discipline. He was asked, of all the topics you've preached on, which has been the hardest to get across? I didn't even have to think about it, he writes, becoming totally devoted to Christ. I've never met a fully devoted follower of Christ who didn't have to die daily to a host of things that would like to have a grip on him personal ambition, worldly pleasures, people's applause, greed. This culture ferociously maintains that you can have it all. But that slogan is foreign to the mind and teaching of Christ. It's difficult for me to stand in an affluent congregation and tell people that they need to die to, walk away from, give up, but I have to do it. And we'd say the same thing in Vancouver. You have to walk away from things, say no to some stuff. Sometimes you just have to say enough's enough. I don't need... One more set of golf clubs. I don't need the latest technical de- gadget. I don't need another pair of shoes. I have enough. I am not going to be driven by consumerism. I am going to be a devoted follower of Christ. We live in a world that's giving lots of messages to us, but we have to take this message. Remember one edition of the Bible, one translation of the Bible is called the Message Bible. I love, I love that message. But this is the message we live for. You get a lot of messages coming at you, but that's the message we want to be fully devoted to. Jesus warned us about consumerism that would destroy the crop of life that would come from our life. And Mark 4:18 is there in your notes. The thorny ground represents those who hear and accept the good news. They heard it, they accepted it. they said, "Yeah, this is good. I mean this makes sense to me. I heard it, and I accepted it. But all too quickly, the message is crowded by what? Cares of this life, the lure of wealth, the desire for nice things. Now, this is a sad part to this verse. So no crop, no crop, not half a crop, not a quarter of a crop. It's a crop failure. No crop. Nothing is produced because what? And isn't this what we live in? The lure of wealth, the cares of this world. Sadly, many hear and accept But there's not an abundance of life produced from their life because they're not fully devoted. These things have snuck into their life and choked out the very life that God wanted to have come from their life. Stephen, he laid down his life. From his life, wow, there was a multitude of life that was produced because he was just fully devoted, fully devoted to Christ. One of the verses that I like, is Revelations twelve eleven. I think Stephen demonstrated this really well as a key to being an overcomer because you have to overcome on a daily basis. Look at this verse, Revelations twelve eleven. Again, it's in your notes. And they overcame him. This is Satan, the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and this last part. And they did not love their lives to the death. They were passionate about following Christ. This is a key verse. That's another good verse to memorize if you're looking for a verse to memorize. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. They did not love their life, even unto the death. If you want a verse, Jesus quoted Scripture to the devil when he was tempted. If you want a good verse to memorize, to quote to the enemy when he tempts you, that's a good verse. Satan, you're a liar, and I am an overcomer. When he lies, he says, You can't make it, you're not going to make it. He said, No, no, you're a liar. I am an overcomer, for it is written, They overcame by the blood of the Lamb. My sins are washed away. You remind me about all my stuff that I've done wrong, but my sins are washed away by the word of my testimony. I am not ashamed to be a follower of Christ, and I love my life, not even unto the death. That verse will send shivers into the spine of any demon. It will cause them to run in fear as we submit ourselves to God. The Bible says, submit yourself to God, resist the enemy, and he runs from you. Submit, fully devoted to him. And when you resist the enemy, he runs from you. He's afraid of you. That verse, my friends, is a powerful verse to memorize. Being devoted brings life, 30, 60, or 100-fold. The word full used in Stephen a number of times. He was full of faith, full of power, full of the Holy Spirit. His life was not wasteable. It was a seed for the church. So much was produced from his life. There's an interesting story. It's a true story about some martyrs in Ecuador. It was 1956 in the dense forest of Ecuador. On the Pacific side of the Andres Mountains, there was a tribe of Natives. And uh, they, they, were, they were a cruel bunch. They were known to be very savage. Anybody who came near them, they would kill. And a missionary by the name of Nate Saint and some others had went there to make contact with them. They wanted to help them. And uh, so they went and they reached out to them. And uh, they did make contact with some of them. And then they set up an, another meeting. And in that second meeting, five of them were tragically killed. One of them happens to be, or was, a cousin to Bill McAllister who attends our church here. So the story is not far removed from our congregation. And in that story, in that place, again, these were fully devoted. They were laying down their life for the for the Lord. And five of them, and they had families, they had wives, they had kids. And it was a sad day for them. And you would think, okay, that, that would have... That would have destroyed things. That would have put an end to it. That would have stopped what God was going to do. But it didn't work that way. When you're fully devoted and you lay down your life, 30, 60, or 100-fold comes out of it. When the pilot lost his life, there was over 2,000 other pilots saying, hey, I'll take his place. And, And what happened out of that story was amazing. The son of Nate... He would later, now catch this, he would later be baptized. Nine years later, he'd be baptized by the man who murdered his dad. How does that happen? And that tribe would come to know the Lord. It was an amazing story. As much as Stephen losing his life, you think, oh, that will crush Christianity. That will put an end to it. Saul was there. Saul's life gets changed. It spreads like wildfire. When people are fully devoted and lay down their life, life is multiplied out of our life. I'm going to play you a little clip. This is Nate's son being interviewed. When the movie End of the Spear came out, if you haven't seen the movie End of the Spear, you can probably get it on, uh, on TV or you can probably download it, but get that movie because it, it tells this powerful story. But here's a clip, and he's going to be interviewed, and the guy beside him is the man who had killed his father, who would later baptize him, but listen to the story, and then we're going to close this afternoon.
1: My dad was killed when I was just a little boy, and it was uh, with four of his friends, and it it was a really violent um, killing. And people ask me all the time, you know, how I could forgive the people that killed my dad, including grandfather Minkai, who I think was the one who finally did kill my dad. You know, I'm sure that they don't understand the perspective from which I saw it all. My dad and his four friends, Roger, Pete, Ed, and Jim, knew that they were risking their lives to try to contact this violent group that had never had friendly contact with the outside world. And then when it came right down to them being attacked, they had guns and they could have defended themselves, but they preferred to die rather than kill even in self-defense. My aunt was living with a young girl from the Waorani tribe who had fled. My mom went on praying for the Waudani and then Aunt Rachel went back in to live with these people for the very first time as outsiders. And my, my aunt knew that there was a risk and I knew that there's a risk that she would be killed too. Well, by the time a year, year and a half later, when I got to go in and live with Aunt Rachel with these people who had killed my dad, that isn't the way I saw them at all. I saw them as being the most special people in the whole world. I mean, why else would my dad have been willing to die for them, my mom go on praying for them, and my aunt risk her life for them? People think it's so amazing that I would forgive Minkai, but, you know, in their culture because he killed my family it was my right and my responsibility when i grew up to kill him or his family but when i went in to live in the jungles i was just oh eight or nine and i didn't have any of the skills that i needed to live in the jungles and Minkai, I went to my aunt rachel and he he said what's wrong with with steve they call me baba down there what's wrong with baba he doesn't know how to make poison for his darts how to He can't make darts, he doesn't know how to use the blowgun, he can't track animals. He said, he doesn't know anything. He said, who's going to teach him how to live? And my aunt said, you having speared his father, who do you say should teach him to live? And he came back and he said, me having speared his father, now I say I myself will teach him to live. But you know, in doing that... Because he had started walking a new trail, he had no idea, I was just a little boy, he had no idea whether I was gonna walk God's trail or whether I would use the skills that he was teaching me to come back and kill him. But he forgave me what he assumed I would grow up to do because he had begun walking this new trail. So really, if you look at it, in the reality in which it took place, the forgiveness that he was willing to believe that I had given up my vendetta against him and then gave me the skills that I would need to carry it out if I didn't give it up, his was maybe the greater forgiveness
0: than mine. It's a great story. Your verse there, First Peter 2, 1 and 2, the last verse, becoming fully devoted is a process. Look how this applies to that story. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil, they had to lay that aside. To be fully devoted you have to lay stuff aside. And this story never never would have happened unless they laid that aside, speaking as newborn babies, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. To be fully devoted is a process you grow. You hear in that story they said he was walking a new trail. They didn't talk about the way, they said to call it the trail. In their words they call it the trail. The greatest trail you can walk on is a trail where Jesus leads the way. He said, I am the way. I am the trail. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It's an amazing story because these these natives, they left their trail. They were having about 60% of their men would die. There was a high death rate because they would be just the life of war and anger that they lived in. And when this movie was filmed, it was not too long after it was released, after the Columbine massacre. And when this grandfather came... They had him speak in one of the conferences, and his message, he says, the anger that I see in this country is the anger that we had in our tribe. You, you're killing one another. You're on the wrong trail. Let me tell you about a trail, the trail of Jesus. This is the trail that you have to be on. He says, walk with somebody. If they're not walking on the trail, take them by their hand, lead them down their trail. That's what we did, and you'll find that I, he was wearing a black shirt. He said, my heart was this black. But there is something very powerful, and it is the blood of Jesus. He said, you wash your clothes, but he says, this blood is powerful than whatever you have to wash. It washes the blackness out of your heart. And when you walk down this trail, you will have a peace, you will have a love, and God will restore your communities. Coming from the jungles of Ecuador into North America with a message that we still need today in our concrete jungle. To walk a different trail, to walk the trail of our Lord. Follow him to be fully devoted and to experience life. That tribe experienced life. This man experienced life. And there's an abundance of life that will come out of your life if we're fully devoted. So God, this year is challenging us as a church to be fully devoted, passionate, loving for him. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.